What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Don't forget to subscribe to our new podcast. What does that do exactly? Do you? How does it? Audio. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod, the daily podcast brought to you by the team behind Squawk Box. NYC, this is CNBC Control 2. CNBC's Essential Morning Show. PCR 2. Every day, get the best stories, debate, and analysis from the biggest names in business and politics. All right, we're coming to it next. Today, the whistleblower report hits Washington. Senator Tom Cotton on a tax break from tariffs. We want to use the money that's coming in from the tariffs to help give those working families some relief. And Peloton takes a spin with an initial public offering on the NASDAQ today. And what a coincidence, we were there too. CEO John Foley stopped by before Peloton's first trade. I feel like we're six or seven different companies in one. We've got those stories and much more. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. It's Thursday, September 26, 2019. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Okay, a couple of big stories that we're watching this morning. Here's what's going on. Um, the big corporate story, Peloton, the stock set to begin trading on the NASDAQ today under the ticker PTON. And uh, all of our questions are going to be answered about this IPO because Peloton CEO is going to join us live right here. It's $8 billion. Uh, right? It's an $8 billion valuation, billion-dollar revenue, $245 million in losses. Um, we're going to talk about the math of that, where they see profits eventually, and um, what it all means. Has anyone case. been on the treadmill? Do you know about the treadmill? I do know I about the treadmill. I do know about the treadmill. Soft. It's very soft. It's like a woodway treadmill. Like a woodway? Woodway? Uh, it's expensive. It has a $4,000 price tag. The bike is at $2,000. Plus. Um, the plus. Plus the yeah. subscription fee. The bike You're saying is, plus? Are you now an owner? It's a little over $2,000. It's a little over. I have one. The, have the one. bike is quite a piece of equipment. It's yeah. heavy, and it's really well made, and you know, you hook it up. You can have a 70-inch screen with someone got like one two weeks ago. screaming at you to, to go faster and stuff. So, so one of motivating. these will... T- yeah, so one, motivating me. So one of the things I mean, we'll talk about... You can go outside, right? The outside is there. You can go for a job. You can ride a bike. It's all yeah. free. Eamon Javers is here. Sorry. Um, you live, no, no. I'm grumpy this morning. Further, you live a little further right. south. Wait that's till right, it's winter right. here. The one thing okay, we will talk enough. to him about is the hardware actually has a high, is a high margin product. It's actually a higher margin than an iPhone right now. Really? In terms of the margin they're collecting off that. It's the services and the investment that they're making in those services and the media component of this, the technology, the streaming. It's costing them so much money. It's costing them so much money. They're doing a lot of build-outs. We'll talk all about that is a that, little bit is later this morning. Is that a recurring Cost, no, no, or will that so, eventually be built out? No, so and then are, can... their argument in terms of um, the math and the model is that those are, those are upfront capital expenditures that they need to do. One-time they're, deal. They're building stuff in, in Europe because they're trying to build an international audience. So it's not just, uh, you know, they have trainers that have different accents, different language, different... So there's a lot going yeah, but on. it's not like you pay a trainer one time. That's a no, recurring... no, but a lot of this is building the facilities. Okay. A lot of this is building facilities. But we'll talk more about this because there's some good questions uh, to be answered. Uh, disclosure, we should mention this morning because CNBC's parent company, Comcast, NBC Universal, is an investor in Peloton. 
Separately, SoftBank reportedly planning to put an extra billion dollars or more into WeWork. This coming from a report from the Financial Times saying the Japanese firm intends to renegotiate a warrant agreement that was put together before WeWork's, WeWork's valuation dropped and its IPO was delayed. The paper uh, notes the talks are in their early stages. So we were talking uh, before the show began. That billion dollar investment, if it were to take place, would come with, uh, w- would effectively also benefit some of their other shares and the warrants that they, and their previous investments. So, right. they, so it's they, not a cleanup. Here's an extra billion dollars. They get a billion dollars. If this happens, they're going to get a billion dollars. But SoftBank's going to get a lot more of the company for that billion dollars, if right. you will. That makes sense. Wall Street is watching the headlines coming out of Washington this week, including impeachment talk. Eamon Jarrett joins us uh, with the latest. Yesterday was a day that was dominated by this impeachment inquiry that's moving forward on Capitol Hill among Democrats. The president was here in New York for the U.N. General Assembly. <clears throat> president really frustrated yesterday that uh, this impeachment talk really stepped on what he felt was a successful week at the United Nations. And the president was uh, at a press conference yesterday here in New York. I had the opportunity to ask him a question. What I asked him was, why, sir, is it appropriate ultimately for an American president to ask a foreign leader for information about his political rival? He gave a very long answer to that. uh, But here's part of it. The new president of Ukraine is looking to stop corruption. Uh, There's a lot of corruption going on, and there was corruption. I just told you about senators that threatened him with votes and no money coming into Ukraine if they do things. That's really what people are trying to say that I did. But the only difference is I didn't do it. You take a look at that call. It was perfect. I didn't do it. There was no quid pro quo. So the president there saying, I didn't do it, saying there was no quid pro quo, but not really answering the question that I asked him, which was, why is it appropriate, leaving aside the issue of the money, why is it appropriate for a president to simply ask a foreign leader for information about his political rival? The president not really offering an answer to that one during the course of that answer. Today, guys, we're going to see another day dominated by this story in Washington. Can I just say, uh, Eamon did that entire thing without anything written in prompter for him that was all off the top of his <laughs> head. And when Are he you tossed suggesting the there's a teleprompter involved in this program? <laughs> when he tossed to the soundbite, he didn't I have trouble say, reading take a, a listen. You didn't say take a listen. No, he did right, not. Right, right. That's, that's one of your, that's one of your that's big things. That's one of yeah. the big, yeah, that, it is. Yeah. At the end really of the day, good. if you can get rid of saying take right. a listen right. going forward, well, as long as all eyes are on it. My business jargon one is on a going forward basis. Like, what other basis is that? Right? I can't go backwards. When they talk about the prospects for the company going forward, it's like, we know what happened going backwards. <laughs> You're right. You can't, you you can't do what happened to, going backwards. But you know who said it best? No. I mean, Yogi. The, the predictions, the hardest predictions to make are the ones about the future. Yes, that is really true, though. That's so true. Yeah. He didn't know how, I mean, brilliance. kidneys. Kidney. Yeah. Insanity and brilliance really <laughs> close to each other. So um, you're an outside exerciser, is that it? Uh, I try to swim a little bit. I try to jog a little bit, but I don't get nearly as much exercise as I should. You need mental toughness to be in in the gaggles up down there, don't you? you and, and it's physical. physical. I mean, in Washington, you have to box physical out. And you have to throw an elbow. People out of the way. They're elbowing people out of the way. If, I, I want to take you to one of those Marine One departures, and you can wrestle with the entire Washington press. Can I? Can I, um, I think that would be. A you might use. Should you might be able to use just, some. He would just walk on to Marine One. Uh, oh, is that? Is well, that how it works? Right. predicted is is still thin volume. Yeah. Okay. The, the impeachment odds are, are up above 60 cents now. The finishing the first term are down in, in the mid-70s to high 70s. The market's That might up. be low. I mean, I don't think right. there are many people out there who think that he's well, not going to Well, it's 20 Republicans, term, right? and you've got like a half. You need two-thirds you've got of the like Senate. M- Mitt is like a half at this point, and you'd need 20. And I'll tell you the, 
what I'm hearing, and I, I mentioned Ari Fleischer, I happen to, to watch him, and, and he's not a he's not a never Trumper, but he's not a big Trumper. Yeah, either. he's not all in. He's not all in. He said this is his these are his words. This is a five yard penalty. This isn't a fifteen yard in a, in a football analogy. It's not a fifteen yard. It's not a halfway to the goal. It's not a where you get all the distance to where the pass interference was. And he goes, and it's certainly not something that, like a, a spearing where you'd be, or whatever it's called, where you're deliberately hitting the, the guy on the chin. Or It's not one of those where you get thrown out of the game. That was right. his point. And I think Republicans are going to probably stick with that. Re- I mean, in the Senate. And They've 20 been quiet, out of, though. They've been quiet. Elizabeth Warren is now ahead on a national poll, and she's ahead in a lot of the early states right now. And... I don't know what happens to the stock market if Elizabeth. I don't. I'm not sure that, that Lee Cooperman, who said it doesn't open the day after uh, that, he was being. That might I know. Hyperbole. Hyperbole. I might have been hyperbole. Yeah. Right. But I don't. If it becomes clear that she's the nominee, I would think that the stock market, if her chances go up in winning the general election, the stock market would start to act different right. than it's acting right what's, now. What's so fascinating to me about this election in 20 is that we don't have the sort of traditional chamber of commerce, free markets candidate in this race, right? If you've been an Elizabeth Warren and a Donald Trump, Trump is not a free market capitalist in the sense of a, of a Mitt Romney or, or traditional Republicans we've seen before. Trump is more of an activist executive right. capitalist. But he does sort thing, of, right? he, he does he like the private like, sector, not the, you know, he's yeah, a, he lo- he's a like far the, cry the, from Elizabeth Warren. Though. He feels as if the president should be able to tell individual right. companies what to do. Does this help or hurt 2020, Trump in 2020, if they, if they go full on? Or hurt? And, it, and does Pelosi take it to, to a vote where they can move Look, forward? Look, we just can't no, war game out what yeah. a first term impeachment looks like because the last two that we've seen Nixon and Clinton were in the second term when all the bad stuff usually happens to a president all the bad stuff is happening to this president in the first term I think people's minds are pretty much made up on this president uh, unless we have some dramatic bombshell so stay tuned a rash of CEO departures hitting corporate America this week building on what is turning out to be a big year for changes in the C-suite, WeWork, Jewel, eBay, all uh, seeing a shuffle in the C-suite for various reasons, from boardroom battles to investor concerns. And according to research firm Challenger Gray in Christmas, there were 159 CEO changes in August. That's up 28% from July and the most ever in a month so far in 2019. There have been over 1,000 CEO departures. So changing of the guard at the top. When Wall Street and Washington check in on the corporate pulse of America, whether it be for explanations of leadership turnover or broader sentiment, they turn to the Business Roundtable. The BRT is a group of about 200 CEOs across every sector. It's all the big shots in business. J.P. Morgan Chase's Jamie Dimon is the outgoing chair, and the new one will be Walmart CEO Doug McMillan. Over the last two months, the BRT released two pretty high-profile statements. The first redefined corporate responsibility, and the second downgraded the group's expectations for the economy. Our anchors asked Mark Weinberger, former EY CEO and a current member of the BRT's board of directors, all about it. Mark, it's great to see you. We've talked to you a lot over the years, uh, and you've always had a pretty good idea about what's happening, what CEOs are thinking about because you're talking to so many of them all the time. Um, I know that the Business Roundtable recently lowered its expectations for growth. What, what are CEOs seeing? What is this about? And, and what can you tell us? Sure. So, I mean, bottom line, Becky, is the U.S. is still strong. Um, you know, I think the general feeling would be that the numbers in the U.S. are holding up. The rest of the world is what's dragging down the U.S. right now. Uh, and certainly there is a fundamental mind shift, in my view, of this China-U.S. trade deal issue. Uh, a lot of people thought for the longest time we were in a tariff war. Eventually there'd be a deal. We'll get through that. You suck it up and, and you either... 
uh, take, the, take the cost yourself or you pass it on. Now people are realizing, I think, we're going to have a longer-term trade issue that's going to affect supply chains. It's going to be a much bigger issue. And that is affecting the way they're investing across the world. So these issues are topical. And the way they're investing around the world, meaning that they are not wanting to invest in China if they're American companies, or they're not wanting to invest anywhere. It's a great question. Actually, U.S. investment in China went up this quarter, first quarter, first half of this year compared to last year. But what's happening, it's investing in China for sales in China, because that's where the market is. Where the supply chains are, they are reevaluating whether they should have supply chains move to other Asian countries or somewhere else. So they're it's, it's kind of looking at both ways. They're still serving China in China, and that's still growing quite rapidly. But how they serve the rest of the world is being reconsidered. How much of this is almost a self-fulfilling prophecy? CEOs are worried about what's going to happen with the trade talks, so they're not investing. They're worried about the economy, so they're not investing. But by not investing, that makes it more likely that some of this economic downturn kind of washes onto our shores. I think, I, actually, last time I was on, we talked about this, too. I, I still think that's the case. I mean, there is no way that the business community sees two quarters of downturns in the economy, which is what you'd have for recession. We definitely see slower growth, as we talked about, but not two quarters of downturn back-to-back next year. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, Arkansas Republican Senator Tom Cotton is proposing a tax break for working families hit by higher prices due to tariffs on imported goods. But he's also on the Intelligence Committee, so he had an early look at the whistleblower report released this morning. So trade, tariffs, and yes, who said what about where in Ukraine and the political fallout? Let's just be clear here. A Ukrainian oligarch didn't find Hunter Biden's resume on ZipRecruiter.com and start paying him $50,000 a year because he's an expert in Ukraine and oil and gas. After this. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. This is Squawk Pod. Here's Joe Kernan. Stand by, Joe. In three, two, one. Here's Mike. Here. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Joe Kernan along with Becky Quick and Andrew Ross Sorkin. The U.S. and Japan have reached a $7 billion trade deal. President Trump announced the outline of the agreement yesterday at a signing ceremony with the Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe. For more on U.S. trade, let's welcome Senator Tom Cotton, Republican of Arkansas, uh, Senator, it's great to have you. Don't, 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 I don't, can you see to my left? No, it's not, you can't really see it, but there's also a big elephant in the room that we may need, <laughs> we may need to talk about, Senator, but let's, uh, you're here to talk about trade. Let's talk trade uh, at the start. How was that deal yesterday? Obviously a positive uh, uh, with Japan at this point, but it just makes me wonder, does that make us more or less likely to, to, uh, uh, to coddle China and get something done? Well, first, I think the trade agreement announced with Japan was a big win for Americans. In Arkansas, in particular, we're very excited about Japan finally lowering barriers on beef, pork, and poultry. I also think the new U.S.-Japan agreement could be a gold standard for digital goods, you know, the transmission of videos, books, music, what have you, between our two nations. And I actually think that the agreement will have the happy effect of putting us uh, now uh, in lockstep with Japan to try to get better trade terms with China. Uh, as we put more and more of these trade deals to bed, a couple of years ago with South Korea, now it's Japan, hopefully later this year it will be Mexico and Canada, 
that brings us our focus more intensely on China, which really is the worst culprit in the international trading system. So let's keep talking about trade, but just through the prism of what we've seen in the last couple of days. Um, in your view, uh, the, the, the latest uh, salvo in the, um, um, you know, getting rid of Trump, I mean, the latest salvo is based on Ukraine. Does that make it more or less likely that he, he decides to do a trade deal with China? I don't know if it makes it more or less likely he's going to do a trade deal with China, given what the House Democrats are doing. I, I think what the president wants to do is get a good deal for America's workers, for our factories, for our farmers, for our ranchers with China. And he wants China to obey the rules of civilized nation when it comes right. to respecting property, property rights, not trying to steal technology and use it for military or intelligence purposes. The president's focus is, as it should be, on getting that good trade deal with China, no matter what kind of hysterics yeah. you see in the House of Representatives. But you've been in, uh, in Washington for a while, and you know everything gets political. Democrats would need 20 senators, I think, if they had all their own senators uh, to go, if it does proceed to that level. Um, do you think that from what you know, from what you heard yesterday in the transcript, and I don't know what's going to come out with the whistleblower necessarily, do you think that this rises to the level of a high crime and, and, and warrants um, removal from office? Now, you know, it, it's a little mystifying to me, and I think most Americans now that they've read the transcript of the president's call with the president of Ukraine, exactly what the Democrats are talking about. In fact, Nancy Pelosi said one of the grounds for an impeachment inquiry would be withholding information from Congress and the people. Well, the transcript has been released publicly. I and members of the Intelligence Committee have reviewed the whistleblower complaint. And what's apparent is there's no quid pro quo that the president asked for anything in return for U.S. aid to Ukraine. It was a fairly straightforward diplomatic conversation. Um, certainly, it's not what Joe Biden has boasted about doing. Joe Biden boasted on television about withholding American aid to Ukraine if Ukraine didn't fire the prosecutor that was looking into his son's company. And let's just be clear here. A Ukrainian oligarch didn't find Hunter Biden's resume on ZipRecruiter.com and start paying him $50,000 a year because he's an expert in Ukraine and oil and gas. He did that because Joe Biden was vice president of the United States. Senator, uh, let me ask you a separate question. If you find the Joe Biden side of this troubling, which, by the way, I, I think it's hard not to, um, I, I, do you find anything about what the president did troubling, not necessarily rising to a crime, not necessarily rising to a level of, uh, of being impeached, but uh, in terms of character, in terms of what it says, in terms of being uh, the president in the White House, does anything about this trouble you whatsoever at all, or do you think that this is completely fine? So first, I think the president has reasonable concerns about Ukraine. Uh, Ukraine is riven by rival factions. Those factions point the fingers at each other a lot. One thing the president wanted to know earlier this year, whether President Zelensky, a newcomer to Ukrainian politics, was going to be better than some of the past leaders of Ukraine, especially when it came to combating corruption. Senator, I'm not referring and to that piece of the, the, the transcript. I'm referring specifically to the piece of the, of the call related to, to Biden. No, this is my point, is that Joe Biden, as sitting vice president of the United States, went to Ukraine and demanded the firing of a prosecutor that was investigating his son's company. Otherwise, he was going to withhold a billion dollars in aid. He boasted about that. He bragged about that. That was under a previous Ukrainian administration. Now, with a new administration, the president wanted to, wanted to get to the bottom of whether or not it was more trustworthy, it was going to take a more serious tack on corruption, and whether there were past actions that needed to be reopened. I, I'm not saying that there necessarily is anything there. I'm saying that these are reasonable questions when you look at the facts of a sitting vice president's son getting $50,000 
a month. Senator, it's a, it's a common it's a common topic of conversation between our president and presidents of other nations yep. when we're dealing with corruption and especially with aid to those nations. Not going to get anywhere here, Andrew. Uh, Senator, um, at this point, what would it take to start flipping the the twenty? You'd need twenty Republicans, and I'm sure they're going to be pretty uh, solid in in their support. I, I, I just, I don't know if as they split up, maybe Sass, I don't know, maybe Romney, but, but what are the, what would you need to see where you'd actually, the president would start losing report, uh, the support of, of his colleagues in the Senate? Or not colleagues, but so the I, I don't want to get into any detail about the whistleblower complaint, although I do think it will be made public, and I don't think there's that much classified material in it, um, and I think it's probably best now that the transcript is public to make it public. Um, I, I will say I didn't see anything in the whistleblower okay. complaint beyond much of what's in the transcript that's been released publicly already and what's been reported in the news. And frankly, a lot of it touched on what's public news, not yep. classified, sensitive so material. You, you figure that voters will have a chance, the, the American public will have a chance to litigate this in November of 2020. <laughs> this and almost every other issue yeah, exactly. that we debate okay. all the time Tell in me, Washington. Let's talk about your, your ta- the, the act of, of rebating some of the tariff money to to taxpayers. Uh, uh, let's get to that. How does that work? Sure. So we've added uh, tariffs on various countries, various products over the last two years. Uh, the Treasury Department has taken in tens of billions of dollars. Those tariffs are primarily designed to get us better trade deals with those countries, to protect our jobs, our farmers, our ranchers, our foresters. But there is that money in the Treasury Department now, and I think a good side effect of it could be turning that money back to American families. So my legislation would rebate that additional tariff money every immediately uh, those past two years of money and then every year uh, after taxes are filed to the bottom three tax brackets anyone making up to eighty four thousand dollars a year or one hundred sixty four thousand dollars for a family by saying that to the effect to the extent that this have an impact on America's families here's a rebate check of several hundred dollars so we can both try to use those tariffs to get better trade deals but also not hit Americans in their pocketbooks it, it's, it, it, it would only go to, the, to those in the, the lowest three uh, tax brackets, anybody who's in that, and it's not directly based on anything they're buying. You're just saying offering relief to families that inevitably would be paying higher bills if they get hit with some of these tariffs for the goods that they're paying in the stores. Yeah, that's right. So we want to uh, concentrate the uh, relief on working families who are in the bottom three tax brackets to the extent that they're going to face any kind of increasing uh, inflation pressures. We haven't seen that much in the data yet, but it's possible. But we want to use the money that's coming in from the tariffs to help give those working families some relief. What's Treasury doing with that money right now? And what's the administration saying about that? You know, right now, tariff revenue, like income tax revenue or corporate tax revenue, just goes into the general Treasury uh, revenue funds. Um, but we do have the ability to create a separate tariff fund to identify how much money comes in on an annual basis and simply turn that money back to working families. That's several hundred bucks a year in the pockets of working families. I think that'll make a big difference. Has, has the administration signed off on this? Are they in favor of it, too? Uh, it's just being introduced today, but we've gotten some favorable indicators from the uh, administration already, uh, and I think that uh, we might have more senators joining us in the future and uh, have administration support behind it as well. Senator, great to have you on uh, today, and uh, hope to see you again uh, not too long a time. It's been too long this time, but we'd love to have you back. Thank you. Thanks. Good to be on. Next on Squawk Pod, it's like riding a bike. Peloton goes public. The company's CEO, John Foley, takes us along for the ride. It is a unique, modern company that is singularly focused on one experience of better fitness in the home. But in order to get there, we had to do a lot of things. That's next. 
people today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. This is Squawk Pod, taking you behind the sounds of Squawk Box from CNBC. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin. Big IPO of the day, Peloton going public today, listing on the Nasdaq under the ticker PTON. The company pricing its IPO at $29 a share at the top of the target range. Ahead of that debut on Wall Street, I got a, uh, an exclusive tour of Peloton's control room to see how the fitness startup transforms an in-studio workout class to an at-home experience. Squawk Box's team was the first to get inside Peloton's Tread Control Room, where live fitness classes are broadcast directly to your treadmill. Hang with it, Amy. I know you guys got this. Keep it up. Here's Peloton CEO John Foley from our exclusive behind-the-scenes tour. We said, can we be a software company? And we looked at the hardware in the category, and we said, it's kind of a dog's breakfast of, of uninspired hardware. So we said, we want to build the best hardware. Um, tablets and bikes and now treads and whatever else we come out with in the coming years. To the extent that we uh, stream close to a thousand hours of live television programming around the world every month, um, it's hard not to say that we're a media company as well. Andrew also joined John for a spin on those $2,000 Peloton bikes. Yeah, we got over 1,500 people on this leaderboard right now. Four, three, keep going, you're up. Where do you rank? In the early days, I could win a class, but uh, those days are long gone. What do you think the biggest difference is going to be being a public company? Certainly the capital event, have adding more than a billion dollars to our balance sheet and allowing us to invest in the new growth and continued growth and new categories and new markets is, is really why we're doing it. We're very excited about it, but you know, we still feel like we're out one of any one of this massive opportunity to uh, impact a lot of people's lives around the globe. Here's John on the set of Squawk Box today. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having uh, on me. On this important day uh, in, in, in your journey. Were you surprised, maybe you weren't, that you were actually able to price at the top end of this range, given all of the questions that seem to be surrounding the IPO market right now? Yeah, it was uh, it was a thing. You know, we were we were following it like everybody else. Uh, there was a ton of demand. I just obviously got off the road for the last two weeks, got in front of a bunch of investors, fun, fun process, learning. It's my first IPO. But uh, I think the demand was there, high-quality investors, and so we were able to price at the top of the range. We're excited. Um, what has been the lesson, though, as you've, you've traveled the country over the last two weeks, also amid swirling questions about WeWork, which, of course, has been in the headlines, uh, where Uber and Lyft and so many others have priced? Yeah, I, as a business person, I'm fascinated. <laughs> I, I read all and follow the stories like you do. 
today, obviously, we're celebrating Peloton's IPO, right. and so, so we're, we're excited about uh, this moment for, on the Peloton journey. We think we've built an incredible company. The foundation is great. The economics are great. The business model is great. The team's mm-hmm. great. So we, we feel like we are special in this. Your first IPO. I love that. Right. Your first, first IPO. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. Well, I really, I, I've I, been I saying it. our CFO, Jill Woodworth, who I've been you know, on the road with for two weeks, has taken 26 companies public. Whoa. So I'm kind of a, I'm a noob, as, as my son would say. But the reason I mentioned Uber and Lyft and so many others is because one of the things that is interesting about this particular vintage of IPOs is you have a, a fast-growing companies like Peloton. This yep. company now that has revenue nearly a billion dollars. But also losses, That's right. meaningful losses. In your case, they've increased over time as the revenues have gone up at the, at the same time, $195 million uh, in losses. Uh, and so there's a question about the path to profitability and how sure. investors think about that. Sure. So let's reframe. Let's use the sem- semantics here. I call them investments. Okay. We, we are investing and we're in investment mode and we are prioritizing growth over profitability right now. Uh, so we are investing in the new category of tread, the treadmill, Joe, to your point. Uh, we are investing in uh, Europe, so we are in the U.K., still in, in one year in, and we're investing in Germany. We go to Germany in the next 60 days with six stores in the six major metropolitan areas of Germany. We're hiring the instructors. We're opening the stores. We're doing the logistics. All of that is obviously expenses out in front of the revenue, so we, we call it investment stage, and, and we think it's disciplined investing. In terms of, though, how much of those are one-time capital costs, meaning the development of studios and new technology, and other costs, which I imagine are obviously ongoing, stores, uh, new instructors, yep. employees. Yeah, so think about, uh, it's both, you know, some OPEX, some CAPEX, but here in New York City, we're building a $50 million television production studio just down the street where we're going to have four studios under one roof, the best yoga, the best boot camp, the best cycling, and a fourth studio to future-proof it if we, if we come out with other products and other categories. Um, we're also doing a $50 million studio in London. Uh, similar story. Our German instructors are going to coach out of that uh, um, studio. And so if you think about the fixed cost leverage in our uh, subscription business over time that would uh, go north of 70% gross margin on that because of the fixed cost leverage, uh, over 1,000 basis points of uh, margin expansion because of the leverage. So there. those are one-time costs. It's $100 million That's alone right, right That's there. Right. And what year do you expect to be profitable? I think we're showing 2023, fiscal 2023, in the, uh, in the five-year plan. And um, one of the other questions that's come up uh, amid a lot of IPOs, specifically WeWork most recently, but across the board, is this idea of a dual-class structure. Sure. Uh, you have one. We do. Why? For better or worse, we've raised a billion dollars at Peloton so far, as of today, north of $2 billion. Uh, so we're well capitalized. But that billion dollars through eight rounds of financing have really crammed down the team, including me. So I have less than 6% of the company, and I'm the founding CEO. And I think if you looked at a range, generally founding CEOs have 8 to 12%. So we couldn't do a 10 to 1 uh, voting class because then the leadership wouldn't have any control. Um, we just feel like we have the right experienced leadership team in place. The board feels good about us. Our, my partner, uh, the president, William Lynch, our CFO, uh, the founders right. are still all together. So we feel great about the team and we feel great about the opportunity. Do investors ask you about that, though? They do. It comes up. I've had a quarter of the meetings brought up dual class. 
John, how, how much of this? I mean, people try to figure out what kind of company you are. Yeah. Are, are you a, a bike company? Are you a media company? Are you a technology company? Uh, what, what, what do you think you are? Yeah, kind it's of wild. Uh, Becky, it's a, it's a great question. You know, I feel like we're six or seven different companies in one. And what, our true north is delighting our members. And in order to do that, we had to be a retail company and a logistics company and hardware and software and media we have a fashion line of apparel where we'll sell, sell close to 600,000 units of branded apparel this year. We're a music company. We bought a music uh, platform last year, integrated it with our service. So y- you can probably name five or six companies um, on two hands that have direct long-term relationships with all the major labels and publishers, mm-hmm. which we do. So, you know, Spotify has the same style relationships that we had to go direct with. So it is a unique modern company that is focused on one experience, singularly focused on one experience of better fitness in the home. But in order to get there, we had to do a lot of things. You are pretty reliant on the consumer and the consumer's health uh, for your business. This is an expensive product. It's not cheap for the classes to sign up on a subscription model. We've looked at a great economy here in the United States. If that turned down, could you change the spend? What, could you quickly pivot to deal with a downturn in the economy? Well, a Peloton bike at this point is $58 a month with 0% down, zero down and 0% financing. You divide that by two, so it's $29 per live-in adult. So it's, it's an insane value if you're riding the bike. And uh, we've looked at the last 15 years of fitness spend, Becky, and even in 2008 and 2009, there was increased spend. So it's effectively a recession-proof um, uh, category. Increased spend on what? Uh, fitness dollars um, as an industry. People weren't cutting their gym memberships during 2008? When you look at um, the bike, when you look at the treadmill, treadmill is a $4,000 price point, bike's a $2,000 price point. Um, they are high margin products for you right now. Sure. When you look at the mix between the hardware and long term, the services or software, how do you see this playing itself out? Whereas the hardware right now seems to be the engine. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Andrew. Because of the $2,000 price point on the bike and then the $39. Uh, a month on the subscription, the top line right now is 80% hardware. Um, if we continue growing at the same clip, which is triple digits, we've doubled the company every year since inception. Um, obviously, the law of large numbers would say you can't always do that, but uh, it's a hyper-growth company, and to the extent we can continue this type of growth, hardware will always are connected fit. But if we had this conversation five years from now, do you think you will have more subscribers to Peloton's service broadly that own the hardware, or I know you can buy this. You, you, you can buy the service without the bike these days. That's right. Uh, so yeah, if you have, if you're one of the 34 million Americans with a treadmill in your basement today, you could download our, our digital app and and uh, be transported into a Peloton boot camp class streaming live from New York City with one of the best instructors in the world on your 60-inch television screen in front of your dusty old treadmill in your basement. So absolutely, we. But is we that are, a better business for you or not? I would assume it is because. In some ways, you can reach more people, but at the same time, you probably don't have the same lock-in. That's right. Yeah, and, uh, and, and what's the hook on, on the treadmill? Is it, is it soft on the knees, or what, what's, what's better about your treadmill? It does have a slat belt technology that has cushion. Think about those high-end colleges with those cushioned tracks. Yeah. It's better on your body over time. So our treadmill is the best piece of fitness equipment ever created. We appreciate here. you being with us right Thank here first time. on CNBC. Thank you, guys. You can see more of this exclusive tour of Peloton Studio and my pasty white arms and legs on cnbc.com. Way to sell it. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Did you Help watch that before you allowed that to? I didn't have the power. We have producers who have a lot more power than I do. 
That's the show for today. On our rundown tomorrow, 118 companies have listed on the public market so far in 2019. About 88 of them, that's 75%, are trading down this week. We'll break down the poor IPOs. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.